It's a good thing I'm so handsome, otherwise you'd be sick of me. <laughs> and I can only say those things because Lydia's not here to hear, so don't tell her. Oh, wait, we're recording, aren't we? Oh, <laughs> oh well. Oh, well. Love it. Um, oh, my gosh. Just give me this. I am, I am on. Am I not coming through very loud there? Was I just not? I can go up a little bit. Yep, there we go. Okay, so maybe she didn't hear that first bit. There's hope yet. <laughs> I might just be in denial, let's be honest. Um, what have I done with my... There we go. That's what I was after. So, this letter of Galatians that Paul writes to, it is a letter, it's to the church in Galatia, and it's pretty straightforward, really, if you look at it, but it's also quite a pill to swallow, uh, if I'm honest. So what I would love to do is, I want to read it again, okay? I mean, Melanie, that was brilliant, thank you, that was read so clearly. But here's the thing, we tend to miss things sometimes, because either we turn off, or because we just genuinely don't want to hear it because we know it's coming. Um, and stuff, well, and maybe I'm just being honest and telling you my, my faults and my failures, and, and there we go. If that's just me, then pray um, for me, obviously. Pray for me. But the beautiful thing about other translations is sometimes they say things just ever so slightly differently. Um, that sometimes it just catches our ear, catches our heart a little bit differently. So I'm going to reread this through twice, Okay. One from my own, my own Bible, which is nice and big, because like I'm a vicar, and vicars should have big Bibles, apparently. Uh, and then the other one is from a, more of a paraphrase than a translation, okay? But don't, don't hold that against it. Paraphrases are good at times, just you don't want it to be your primary Bible, okay? But we'll get there. So, Galatians chapter 5, verses 1, skip a few, 13 to the end. So Christ has truly set us free. Now, make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Oh, wait, I've skipped far too forward. Verse 13. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. Don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying each other. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting against each other. So you are not free to carry out your own good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful desires, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, Outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, 
that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. So since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Okay, one more time, all right? Because I'll be honest, the Bible's got much clearer words than I have, okay? But here we go. This one is more of a paraphrase. It's from the Passion Translation. It says this. Let me be clear. The Anointed One has set us free. Not partially, but completely and wonderfully free. We must always cherish this truth and stubbornly refuse to go back into the bondage of our past. Verse 13. Beloved ones, God has called us to live a life of freedom in the Holy Spirit. But don't view this wonderful freedom as an opportunity to set up a base of operations in the natural realm here and now. Freedom means that we become so completely free of self-indulgence that we become servants of one another, expressing love in everything we do. For love completes the laws of God. All the law can be summarized in one grand statement— Demonstrate love to your neighbor even as you care for and love yourself. But if you continue to criticize and come against each other over minor issues, you're acting like wild beasts trying to destroy one another. As you yield freely and fully to the dynamic life and power of the Holy Spirit, you will abandon the cravings of your self-life. For your self-life craves the things that offend the Holy Spirit and hinder him from living free within you. And the Holy Spirit's intense cravings hinder your old self-life from dominating you. So then, the two incompatible and conflicting forces within you are your self-life of the flesh and the new creation life of the Spirit. But when you are brought into the full freedom of the Spirit of grace, you will no longer be living under the domination of the law, but soaring above it. The cravings of the self-life are obvious. Sexual immorality, lustful thoughts, pornography, chasing after things instead of God, manipulating others, hatred of those who get in your way, senseless arguments, resentment when others are favored, temper tantrums, angry quarrels, only thinking of yourself, being in love with your own opinions, being envious of the blessings of others, murder, to step up there, didn't we? Uncontrolled addictions, wild parties, and all other similar behavior. Haven't I already warned you that those who use their freedom for these things will not inherit the kingdom realm of God? But the fruit produced by the Holy Spirit within you is divine love in all its varied expressions. Joy that overflows. Peace that subdues. Patience that endures, kindness in action, a life full of virtue, faith that prevails, gentleness of heart, and strength of spirit. 
Never set the law above these qualities, for they are meant to be limitless. Keep in mind that we who belong to Jesus, the anointed one, have already experienced crucifixion. For everything connected with our self-life was put to death on the cross and crucified with Messiah. We must live in the Holy Spirit and follow after him. The beginning, I guess, isn't it? I mean, it's fairly straightforward, as much as we don't like it. And there's some things that we're like, yeah, I didn't murder. That's cool. Being in love with my own opinion, I, that maybe happens quite a lot sometimes. Anyway, this isn't confession time. This is Paul's letter to the, the church of, in Galatia at the time, right? And at that time, there were leaders and preachers and stuff coming into the church going, you found Jesus? Great. Now, here's a set of Jewish rules and rituals and regulations that you also need to follow. And Paul was writing against that and going, no. It is not about rules and regulations and religiosity. It is about relationship. The whole of Paul's letter is, is comparing these two things of, of trying to live under the law, living by rules and regulations, which don't actually save you. They just condemn you. They only point out where you go wrong. They do nothing about that. Or the opposite way of life, where you ignore all the rules and regulations and you live what that translation, which I love, self-life. Regular Bibles will call it the sinful nature. It's where it's all about you and what you want to do and what makes you feel happy and, and living your own best life and all of that stuff, right? And Paul's like, no, no, look, you follow the rules, the regulations, the religiosity, you're going to be condemned and you're going to be grumpy, you're going to be sad and you'll probably also turn into quite a um, judgmental person because the only way you're going to feel better is by judging other people to make, be worse off than you. But also, if you follow your own self-life, if you ignore that and walk in this way, actually, although it looks like fun, although it makes you the center of the universe, it leads to destruction. It leads to emptiness. It leads to death. It leads to separation from the one who made you for relationship. And so Paul is like, don't do that, but also don't do that. Do this. And he provides a middle way. And he says the middle way is by when we turn our lives over to Jesus, he sets his spirit within us. And then we walk in a way where we obey the spirit's prompting as we seek to follow Jesus. So instead of trying to live by rules and regulations, and rules and regulations are good, okay? Anybody who plays sports, especially something like rugby, you want there to be rules. You know, you don't want somebody just to come up to you, kick you in the face and go, I'll take the ball, thank you very much. Right? Rules and regulations are good, but they can't save us. The law of Moses cannot save us. It can only point out where we go badly wrong. And so Paul is like, right, guys, the law is good, but we, we aren't bound by that anymore because Jesus has come to fulfill the law in all of its fullness and bring us into that rescue that the law pointed out that we needed but couldn't provide. And so he says, we need relationship. We need intimacy with Jesus, with the Spirit of God. And when we walk in the ways of Jesus, we begin 
to look like him. Whatever you set your heart on, your life begins to look like, doesn't it? If you set your, life, if you set your heart on, on, on wealth, your life begins to look like that. You pursue it. You hoard it. You chase after it. It's all you can think about. It's all you can dream about. It's all you pursue. And because it's all you pursue, it doesn't matter how you get it. Whether you hurt people along the way, whether you do it by mischievous means, your life begins to look like what your heart is after. This is what Paul is saying. So Paul is saying, when you are set on Jesus and following him and following his Holy Spirit, your life will look like something. There is fruit, love, joy. You'll have peace even amongst the storms of life. Notice he's not saying, and Jesus never promised that you'd have a, 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 you know, a trouble-free life. In fact, if anything, he promises you trouble. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. Take heart. I have overcome the world. And that's how he has this peace that is everlasting. It's a peace that is determined not on our circumstances, but on Jesus. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control. All of these things. Our life begins to look like something, Paul is saying. So we are free. We are free from the condemnation of the law. We are also free from our self-life because in Jesus there is this power to walk in intimacy with him. And um, when we see these fruits, or better yet, when others see these fruits in our lives, we know we're on the right track. We know that we, when we're following Jesus, okay, this is a really bad analogy here, okay, and forgive me, but it's kind of fun anyway. You know how they say dogs and owners begin to look like one another, right? In the same way, but not because of the same way, when we follow Jesus, we begin to look like him, right? We begin to smell like him. We begin to sound like him. Our actions begin to look like the actions of Jesus. That's essentially what Paul is saying. Right? There's law. It condemns us because it tells us where we've gone wrong. There is our sinful self-life, which wants us to be the center of everything. Stuff everything else, stuff everybody else. It's all about me. And these two things are at odds with one another because we are inherently sinful, aren't we? Paul writes in a different book, I want to do, I don't do the things I want to do and I do the things I don't want to do. Woe is me, who's going to save me? Jesus, that middle. There is freedom in the name. We sang it earlier. There is healing in the name. Jesus is the one. And so that is the whole of Paul's letter, basically going, guys, there's this. You can be condemned by that. You can turn into a judgmental, hard-hearted trying your best to earn your way into heaven, but the reality is you're never going to earn your way into heaven because the law wasn't about rescuing you. It was pointing out you needed a rescue. Or you can just go off and say, well, stuff it. I'm just going to do what I want to do and you know, live my best life and, and make myself happy while I can. But that ultimately leads to destruction, disappointment, and loneliness, and heartache, and death. Death of the spirit, death of the body. Or, Paul says, you can walk in the freedom that Jesus affords us. There we go. The end. Let's pause. I, you know, I don't want to say too much more because 
I mean, I think it was quite simple, self-explanatory, what Paul says, and hopefully I haven't confused matters too much. So let's do this. Let's pause and do a little inventory. And this is between you and the Lord, okay? You don't have to say anything out loud. In fact, please don't say anything out loud. Um, But come and talk to me afterwards if you feel you must. How are you doing with walking in relationship and intimacy with Jesus, I wonder? It's a question I ask myself often because often I find myself straying ever so slightly, sometimes accidentally, sometimes intentionally going, I know Jesus, you want to do that, but I want to do this, so I'm just going to take a quick diversion. I'm being honest. (laughs) Let's pause. Let's take stock. How are you doing living in intimacy with Jesus, and how are you doing living a life that bears the fruit of Jesus? Do Do you sound like Jesus? How much do you look like Jesus? How much do you smell like Jesus? The Bible says that uh, Christ in us is the fragrance of life to some and the stench of death to others. How do you, how do you smell? Let's pause. I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit to come and minister to us. Again, because this is just about you and the Holy Spirit. And then I'll, I'd, I'd lead us in a, in a prayer in a minute. But Holy Spirit, we love you. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your goodness. Would you please speak to our hearts now? Quick definition, right? The definition or, or distinction, I'd say, between condemnation and conviction. Okay? God will convict if we're doing wrong. Conviction is a you can do better. You're doing it wrong but you can do better. Come, let's partner together. That's God. He will never condemn. If, if it's a, you're rubbish, oh, you've stuffed it, you've messed up, that's terrible, you should run away. That's condemnation. The enemy, the devil, seeks to condemn because he seeks to push us away from God. God, even in our mess, seeks to draw near to us and for us to draw near to him. So, in this moment, here's how I tell my kids how they know if it's God or not, Right? If it helps you to love God, to love others, and love yourself better, it's probably God speaking. If it makes you hate yourself, fearful of God, and judgmental or hateful or whatever of others, it's probably not God. Okay? Simple definition. God will convict. He doesn't condemn. Okay? So let's pause and let's pray. Lord, speak. Speak to us now.